welcome to Regeneratively Speaking, a podcast brought to you by the Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I'm Katherine Drinkett. And I'm Joshua Huntsberger. In each episode, we bring you interviews with guest researchers and our institute's faculty covering the latest cutting-edge research on regenerative medicine. Today we have Director of the Institute of Bioengineering from Queen Mary at the University of London, Dr. Alvaro Mata. Welcome. Thank you. So Dr. Mata is interested in developing new materials, devices, and technologies that can offer bioengineering breakthroughs and medical solutions. Before we delve into this further, I think it would be helpful for our listeners to hear a bit about your training that led you to where you are today from your bachelor's in mechanical engineering at the University of Kansas to your master's in bioengineering at the University of Strathclyde, uh, and then on to your doctorate in chemical and biomedical engineering at Cleveland State University. Um, You've kept a steady focus on bioengineering. What has led you um, into this field, and how has this training prepared you for developing bioengineering breakthroughs and medical solutions? I have a very diverse background, but it was not planned. I started with mechanical engineering first. Actually, I didn't didn't like it that much. Uh, Then I I did find bioengineering. I did a master's in bioengineering, and that completely changed my life. It was like finding a a love, I guess. A Uh, hidden gem. Yeah, a hidden (laughs) gem. But obviously, bioengineering is so broad, and when you do, you you can learn a master's that's still very broad. So then I, I went into I loved it so much that I wanted to do a PhD. And technologies changed so fast that I sort of jumped from one to the other as, as things continue. So I did a PhD. I went to do a PhD at the time in diabetic fit, biomechanics. But when I arrived, the whole field of um, uh, microelectromechanical systems and biomems was 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 uh, emerging. So, you know, it was great. You, you know, that it seemed like the right this is a great new technology, let's try to do that. So I had to learn a new you know, new field now, or tissue engineering and MEMS technologies. And then I finished my, my the PhD. And when I was gonna do a postdoc, well, it was the whole self-assembling, uh, you know, the community was really emerging. And so I decided, you know, why not? Let's try this new thing now. And so at the end, after, even after my postdoc, then all of a sudden I realized I had, I had done them because I, they looked interesting and, and it was and they were fun, but then when I w- when I started to build the lab, uh, and it was time for me to okay now go into the world and, and you know try to try to make it. Well, we we had some interesting technologies uh, and some interesting know-how, and so if you see some of the projects that we are developing now are the, at the lab, they are bringing uh, at least some of these technologies and experiences that I that I had in in. And so you start from there. You start, you start from a very interdisciplinary background. But I think the culture in, our, in the lab continues to be very interdisciplinary. So now we have people from different disciplines also learning new things and then bringing their things. Yeah. So interdisciplinarity, uh, it's challenging, but it has been um, a great opportunity and a great um, sort of advantage to, to, take, to take advantage of. Yeah. So you touched a little bit uh, on your postdoc your fellowship was at Northwestern University on molecular self-assembly, nanomaterials, biomaterials, tissue engineering, uh, and stem cells. What were some of the main findings of your work during this time? Yes, so so that was so I had the great opportunity to work with Sam Stoop at Northwestern. Um, so that was 
great learning experience. Difficult at the beginning because, again, it was a completely new field for me. And so I started to work on a project that would bring my experience in microfabrication. So I started to try to see if we can create micro patterns and nano patterns in, this, in the self-assembling materials. And there was interesting to see how you could combine physical and geometrical and topographical stimuli to cells how you could you, you could stimulate them with yeah. with these elements but also combine them with the precise chemical uh, or, or biomolecular signaling that self-assembly would bring so it was like bringing together the top-down and the bottom-up uh, approaches and trying to signal control and guide cell behavior through both of these approaches which traditionally have not come together so this is one example i was bringing that that knowledge into into sam's uh, lab and I was learning a lot from, from these other technologies. And so that just was a natural project to jump in. Mm-hmm. And so it was about controlling cell behavior through both physical and, and biomolecular signaling. And then the other project I had the opportunity to participate was to try to design one of the self-assembling materials for bone regeneration and begin to position different bioactive epitopes within that gel, uh, sort of like bringing different bioactive signals, so creating like a cocktail Jail of a jail of signals, and using them to control cell cell adhesion, cell proliferation, and nucleation and growth of mineral. So those were two different projects I I, I was able to to sort of lead within within the Stub Lab, and I also had the great opportunity to work with other people who were doing great work in self assembling. Uh, for example, we, we work with um, Ramil Capito and Elena Acevedo uh, working on on. Um, novel self-assembly system, systems combining peptide amphiphiles and hyaluronic acid. And that led to a very nice publication working with Xuming Zhang, another very good uh, PhD student uh, in the Stube lab, controlling self-assembly at different hierarchical levels. Both of them led to very good uh, publications. Yeah. So that was my, my involvement in the, in the Stube lab. It's a great experience. We have a lot of different listeners, some of them young scientists. Do you have any advice or, or lessons you can share with them about selecting a lab or an environment for postdoctoral fellowship? I do, definitely. <laughs> I think for maybe, again, I, I feel a little bit uncomfortable when people ask you for your advice because I think everybody has their own experience and it really the advice is to learn yourself what works best for you. That would be the, the general thing. For me, what has, what has worked has to been to always try to do something that I love or that I eventually will find to love it. Uh, and I have two ways you can do it. You can either do what you love or love what you do. Uh, but doing that <laughs> and, and ending up loving it, I think is essential. So I would find a lab that would have either the, f- the technologies or the fields that would enable you. And perhaps if you don't know exactly what it is, well, at least have perha- uh, the freedom to move around in a few areas or be exposed to different things. I think also the the culture of the lab is very important. And, and I think finding out yeah. about that is very important because people are different. In, in being in a lab, now that, we're, that I'm trying to build a lab, it's so important the culture of the lab and for people to feel good with each other and feel good within within whatever culture is that you're, you know, you, you are trying to build as, as now that I have, I'm building a lab, but also if not, just to be in a culture that is what you, you use, uh, it can make you thrive. So finding out beyond the research, beyond those fields that are so important, but finding that out also I would encourage people to, to find out more. What is the vision? What, is, what are the, the, the sort of the values of the lab? 
what is what are the priorities what things are are valued more because at the end of the day th those will create the the culture of that lab and for good or for, or for bad they will influence you yeah. and i think you will do again a better job not only if you love what you do but you have the right environment to support you and again the right environment may be depending there's no right environment there's just an environment whether it works for you or not for you and then that's the that's the key so you talked about building a lab and the culture of a lab and environment how about mentors have you had any mentors you'd like to mention along the way that have really helped you yeah definitely definitely well so many i told you for me for me the must my masters was critical because it made me fall in love with with something for the first time really and so there my professors were fantastic uh, then i met Brian Davis, who's now head of bioengineering at the University of Akron. That's why I went to Cleveland. And he was just he's such a creative leader. And I just felt so good with him, actually. But then he was working on biomechanics, and I wanted to work on MEMS, so I switched. And then I, I went to the lab of Shuvoroy, Shuvoroy and George Mushler. Uh, that's what my PhD was, working with both of them. And Shuvo was a new new guy, in, in very ambitious and extremely capable. Um, and it was also a great learning experience. Uh, I had a great time in my PhD. And then going to Sam, uh, you know, now you bring a world leader uh, with those, these tremendous new technologies. And I guess each one you learn different things. Um, and, I, and I think, um, but even, even, the, you know, even colleagues, I mean, even students now, I think being able to learn is all, it's a state of mind. You do not only learn from maybe your teachers, you can learn from everybody. And that's another thing that I think is important. So your talk today focused on novel self-assembly and printing uh, technologies to enable the fabrication of 2D and 3D bioactive and biomimetic uh, materials for potential applications in tissue engineering, regenerative medicine, and in vitro models. I was wondering if you should, could share some of the examples of these technologies um, that you're working on. Okay. The niche, main niche of the lab is to try to use biomolecules not necessarily that we have uh, created we actually try to you work with technologies platforms that are very successful and try to use them in innovative ways to create materials with novel properties so in one of the projects for example we are combining uh, peptide amphiphiles that were developed by sam at northwestern with elastin like proteins that um, have been developed by people like Uri and Chilcotti, and 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 so we're tr we are combining those two to to mix them in different ways, and 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 what we've seen is that we get very interesting properties. Yeah. In this case, we get a membrane that self-assembles and is dynamic, and it has dynamic properties. And the way it self-assembles actually creates a different architecture, a different uh, microstructure, and then depending on that microstructure, the, you get different properties of the membrane. In our case. There's a particular molecules that we use that then turn into a dynamic membrane. So you can use it then to undergo uh, morphogenesis or to change shape. And that one we're creating uh, sort of tubes to try to mimic vascular tissue and try to do more tissue engineering, genetic medicine along those lines. There's another project in which we're also using these elastin-like proteins uh, to manipulate. So these, these proteins are so long molecules, but they have a transition temperature. So at a certain temperature, they either collapse or expand. So there's, imagine just like noodles or spaghetti collapsing or expanding. Yeah. But if that spaghetti has certain bioactive signals, then you can bring those signals together 
or let's say closer or separate. So you can play with the density of those signals within your molecule. So now create a plate of spaghetti. So not only you have one, but you have a whole plate. So you have all sorts of molecular um, um, uh, dynamics inside of that plate. So we're trying to use that, that molecular positioning to use a particular peptide that we know nucleates hydroxyapatite or, or calcium phosphate. And what we have found is in, in certain ways of conformation in which these peptides, the nucleate mineral, uh, in, in certain uh, ways in which they come together, hydroxyapatite forms, nucleates, and growth, grows in a very organized fashion, creating a hierarchical, so they grow from these very well-aligned nanocrystals that come together to form these uh, well-defined prisms that come together into this sort of uh, circular micro and macroscopic uh, structures. Yeah. And that can be very interesting to create materials with hierarchical, uh, to create uh, minerals and, and mineralized materials with hierarchical structure. Enamel is a material like this. Enamel is a very, the properties of enamel are fantastic because it has this, it has this hierarchy of crystals. And that's one you know, area in which we're trying to move that project. And then there's another one that I also spoke about. It's a, it's a, we call it a new 3D printing, a new type of 3D printing. The whole idea is to print molecules within three-dimensional hydrogels. But the system that we're, we're trying to develop in which we use electric fields to control and pass molecules and position them inside of gels, one of the areas that we want to try, one of the uh, challenges we're trying to, or goals we want to reach is, is to do it in such a way that it does not depend on the molecule you're printing or the gel that you are printing on. So that you can, so anybody that is working, whether it's on collagen or agarose or alginate or whatever the hydrogel, you have now a, a mechanism to begin to put molecules in precise locations within the gel. And yeah, so that, those are different technologies. Yeah. We, uh, we're trying to combine, again, top-down and bottom-up fabrication and create, try to create new ways of making materials. So of these technologies you're working to develop, uh, which one shows the greatest potential for therapeutic application within the next 10 years? I think the faster one that I can tell you would be this, this control mineralization. I think this is one that we've gone from, from the nanocrystals into creating layers and membranes full of this hierarchical mineral. Um, and so we, yeah, we hope that that can have a, an, uh, an application in, in dental uh, tissues and perhaps bone. Uh, so I think that one, this, um, yeah, the other ones I think can have, uh, we don't really know where, how, how long it may, it may take or where we're gonna go because a lot of the things we do have to do with creating the technology. So, so you're currently the director of the Institute of Bioengineering at Queen Mary University of London, and we understand that you're building the next stage of the Institute of Bioengineering by integrating within it science and engineering with uh, medicine and den dentistry. Mm. I was wondering if you could comment on your vision for this integration, yeah. why it's needed, and yeah. what steps are you actively taking to ensure successful yeah. integration? Justification for integrating different expertises is, is quite established now. I mean, it's not just for the sake of, of conducting interdisciplinarity, but, but there are many problems that would benefit from having that interdisciplinarity. So I think it's quite sort of uh, understood or acknowledged that this integration needs to happen. If you have a great cardiovascular surgeon, if you have a great 
um, know, materials person or sensing person, imagine the things you could do when you bring them together. The key is to actually make it work and to make it happen. Because actually this objective, I think there are many places around the world that, that uh, are attempting we're all attempting to do it. So how do we really make it happen? How do we make it efficient? So I think the, the, I mean, the key is, is to create opportunity for the people that participate. An opportunity could come in the way of new projects, new technologies, new solutions. And the key, if I can put it in a, in a more simplistic way, is to match needs with haves. And if you look at, I'm sure if we talk, there will be needs and haves. And if we just manage to, yeah. to put, you know, to find that, that uh, click, if you will, um, then, then we could start working together. And so at Queen Mary, we have three campuses. So they are spread in the city. Um, big medical school, big engineering and science school. Um, there's a lot of knowledge there. So what, what the institute, it's a virtual institute. So what we're trying to do is create the platform that will bring these people together, share ideas, and begin to tackle problems. Uh, we also have a big, uh, re a great relation with hospitals and clinicians, so it's about bringing them into the conversation. And do you see that being done with focus groups? Yes, yes, correct. I think we approach it at a different angle. So one is we need to make we need to make it exciting. We need to show that there's quality and that things are happening. And so we've created a variety of public lectures and events, and that brings people and you know bring great speakers, and it's fun. But to actually then begin to narrow down and where are we really going to make a difference and where are we really going to create some tangible outputs. What we have tried to do is create these sort of workshops, these meetings, these half a day meetings where you bring, so we did one on cancer, we did one on, car on, on cardio. We brought, uh, say on the cardio one, we brought 10 cardiovascular surgeons and medics, about 10 scientists and engineers, and we spent the afternoon identifying, so where are the needs that you clinicians have, the patients have, where do you think things can be improved? And then seeing what do we have in-house? And if not, where can we go and work with outside? But the idea is to, to first um, sort of identify what are the niches, what are, where can we come together? And now we want to try to build it within a grand challenge vision. And this is, this is also an important component because to me, the, the idea of a grand challenge goes beyond our institution or our institute, which is what I like. I like to work with other people because yeah. you, you know. So, so by creating this sort of grand challenge, say in cardiovascular, say um, the grand challenge will be to make um, you know cell therapies for ischemic tissue a reality. Um, so, okay, so this is the this is the grand challenge. That that came from identify and from that conversation. So, yeah. what do we need? What do we have in house? Who are the experts, experts in the UK and around the world that we're going to start calling them in and start building this project? Yeah. So okay. those are, that's another platform, but now more focus, more focus yeah. on, on, on the science and the technology and the application. Is there anything else we need to cover with your research or your institute, or do you have any take-home messages for our audience or our listeners? Oh, that's a difficult one. Interdisciplinary, um, I say creativity. I think creativity is so important. and yeah. I. Came to the I did a lot of my university in the U.S. and I don't think I ever had a creativity class. So maybe nowadays people do it. I know in our university I try to implement some of these things, but creativity is such an important element. Mm -hmm. 
and that means seeing things from a different angle and that's where interdisciplinarity automatically makes you say, that, that introduces, makes, it introduces that yeah if you're bringing an engineer yes in with a clinician they're going to approach a problem completely correct. different correct correct and 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 if you're forcing yourself to look it through their lens and their perspective yeah it, it allows you to approach that problem yes differently. yes yes so it's, yeah it's i think interdisciplinarity, creativity. I also focus very much on, on people. I think having the right people, which we can we can elaborate on what that means, by having, you know, searching and having the right people with the right attitude and that fit within within that culture that you're trying to create is so important. For, so important for a lab, so important for an institute. Yeah. Thank you so much. You. My pleasure. Yeah, it's it. great to be here. Thank you. That's all for this episode. Be sure to listen next time for the latest in regenerative medicine. This podcast is a production of Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine, part of Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center. For more information, visit our website at www.wfirm.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter at WFIRM News.